0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood show. The black, the black, the black, the black. Welcome to The Blackwood Show. I am Taylor Blackwood, and this is my show. Today, I'm going to do an episode on negotiations for you guys. This is a topic that we have not broached yet in this podcast, uh, but one of my favorite parts of business, you know, getting to do negotiations, is always really exciting. It's always a fun and engaging part of work. And it's one of those things when you're a kid thinking about being a businessman one day, you're, you get to gl- think about the glamorous negotiation. You're sitting across the big boardroom table and you make an offer and they counter and you stare them down with your poker face and make your counter offer and get the crazy deal. You get to brag about it over scotch later that day with a cigar or whatever. <laughs> but in my experience, negotiations go very differently. And I have a very different approach now that I've done thousands of them in my career, if not more and uh, I'm excited to share some insights about it in this series with you guys. Today, I'm going to focus on one really important part in negotiations, and that's BATNA, our best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So we're going to unpack what that term means. We're going to unpack how it can work in your negotiations, how it can serve a good framework for you and how it can make someone who's even who doesn't see themselves as a good negotiator, much more confident in negotiations. Uh, So without further ado, let's unpack a little bit about negotiating. And in particular, let's talk about BATNA today. So first thoughts on negotiations, you know, lots of people want to glamorize negotiations. Like I mentioned a moment ago, they want to picture a big fancy boardroom table and and they're grinding the person across from them and making this really difficult deal that no one else could get. In my experience, not only does that not happen very often in business, because most people are pretty sophisticated and aren't going to make insane deals, but there are downsides to doing it. Even if you could rip someone's eyes out on a deal, you tend to get a bad reputation for it. Point in case, we uh, rented a space recently for my business and we don't feel great about the deal afterwards. And there's some realtors who I'm friends with who are kind of buzzing like, oh, you guys rented that for a little bit above market. And I'll tell you, you know, it, it is not good for that realtor who struck that deal with us, that they leased a space. We're the only ones in this building still to this day. And we have bad feelings about it. And honestly, it cost that broker a lot of business. It was very short side for him to treat us that way because we might have rented more space. You know, right now we're opening two more clinics in the same market. He could have, you know, maybe been our realtor on that. He could have maybe gotten more fees. He could have, you know, rented some other difficult to get spaces, but he missed those opportunities because he treated us unfairly. So you don't want people going around having a bad feeling after a negotiation with you. You want everyone, you want to find that that zone that overlaps, you know, where everyone feels good about negotiation. So although there is that glamorous ideal of I'm going to Grind this person in the ground with negotiations, I don't necessarily identify with it. My style in business in general, and especially when it comes to negotiations, is I want everyone to win. I want it to be a good deal for all sides involved. And I want to have a good reputation where people want to do more business with me. And in honesty, I get more out of that in the long run than any short term victory in a negotiation might bring. you know, the exceptions to that would be if you're in some aggressive mergers and acquisition position, or if you're like in charge of accounts payable in a really sophisticated business and you just need to grind everyone. Like if you're in charge of accounts payable or something like this and, you know, choosing, choosing merchandising at Walmart, I imagine that you're going to have some negotiations that people aren't always going to feel that great about. But, you know, even so, I think for most of us, negotiations are something where there can be more than one winner. It doesn't just have to be that we win at their expense or they win at ours. So I don't really ascribe to that glamorized form of negotiation. negotiation, like the Donald Trump style, where I'm going to get the best deal on planet earth and brag about it for decades to come. I believe in good and fair business dealings and doing good and fair continued business and if nothing else, protecting your reputation. So that's a little bit of wisdom I want to impart to my viewers is, you know, unless it's just the only deal you're going to strike your entire life, like selling your business one time or one big deal like that, and you're you're never going to repeat and do any repeat business with this person, you really want to think about your reputation and protecting it. So even if you could get a better deal, it's not necessarily always in your best interest. So with that little precursor, let's move into negotiations themselves. You know, it takes the pressure off when you look at negotiations that way. Instead of playing poker with someone and trying to get every last dollar, if you're someone who's willing to compromise, which I think is sometimes made into a dirty word, but I did a whole episode about how great compromise is. If you're willing to compromise a little bit, I think you can get a lot more done in business. You want to be known as someone that's worth dealing with and someone who strikes deals. You want to be a deal maker, which means you're not going to get that last cent. You know, you're not going to get the 99th cent of the dollar but getting 95 cents of them more often might be gr- a great thing for you. So keep that in mind when you're negotiating, go get things done, go make uh, deals happen. Don't let negotiations stand in the way of a deal. That's good for you. That's an important concept in negotiating as well, in my opinion. Um, and specifically, I think that negotiations to the extent that you, you know, want to get a good deal, you know, like I said, maybe not that last dollar, but you still want to do well for yourself I think most of that is actually done in preparation of the negotiation instead of in techniques of the negotiation itself. So I'm sure you guys are interested in business, you've probably listened to YouTube videos, read books, whatever on negotiation where they talk about techniques for analyzing the other person and do they have tells like in poker or something ridiculous like this or uh, how nervous are they, are they sweating? Uh, what type of language do they use? What happens if you're totally silent at the start of the negotiation? Will that throw them off and you'll gain the upper hand? Those things are all ridiculous to me. I. I basically never use techniques like that in my negotiations, to be honest with you guys. So if you're looking for insights about how to throw someone off their game and then bring them back to the table or something like that, I'm probably not the best at at that style of negotiations. But what I will tell you in my experience is that 90% of negotiations are won ahead of time. And what I mean by that is that the preparation for negotiations, it really determines who gets the better deal in my experience. So let's unpack that a little bit. What things might you uh, prepare before you go into a negotiation? First of all, you should understand the deal. You should understand all the terms of art and you should try to understand the marketplace for what you're negotiating in. Let's use the example of a used car for a moment, right? Because that's a classic place that people get ripped off. One thing that you want to do is you want to prepare ahead of time so you understand some of the lingo. So when they start to talk to you about different financing options, you understand the different ways that they make money. And they can't use some term of art that sounds complicated like money factor, which in car sales is really just a glamorized term for the interest rate that you're going to pay if you finance it. So don't let terms of art throw you off. Do your preparation and go into negotiations confident that you know what you're talking about. And if someone throws you something that is, kind of a curveball. don't be shy to kind of slow down the negotiation and understand it. Put them back on their heels to explain it to you, but don't concede anything to them as an authority figure when they do explain those things. Now, getting back to the car example, what else can you do to prepare for it? You can research what you're buying. You can find out what other people might've paid for it, things like this, but the single strongest thing you can do is you can Create a best alternative to a negotiated agreement for that one car. And that's called a BATNA. This is something that I did instinctually for most of my career. But when I went to Harvard recently in Harvard Business School, they teach it to you as a concept. And side note, they have a brilliant way of like you'll be explaining some complicated thing you do in business that you kind of learned through tribal knowledge or something, some skill set you developed over time. And you'll be doing this long, you know, paragraph to your class about what it is. And then the professor will turn around to the board and just write one word. <laughs> and then, and then you just feel like, damn, that really simply, you know, That really simplifies what I'm trying to say. So my whole career, I've always tried to establish, okay, what am I going to do if this negotiation falls through? If I don't strike a, a bargain with this vendor, what is my next alternative? What am I going to do instead? Who am I going to buy from? What would their price be? And therefore, what, what is a good deal based off of that alternative? And that's the way I've done most of my negotiations. I want to buy a house. I shop multiple houses. I don't just fall in love with one house and be subject to pay any price to them. I go, oh, this person wants too much money. They want 10% more than I'm willing to pay. Okay, I'm going to my Batna, to my best alternative to this negotiated agreement. I'm going to go buy the other house, that research that I'd be perfectly happy in as well. I do that with vendors all the time. You know, if I'm negotiating testosterone for our testosterone replacement clinics called Ageless Men's Health, which is what I do for my primary business for my new listeners here, uh, if I'm if I'm negotiating the price on testosterone, I'm gonna get multiple vendors involved. I'm gonna give them all my quantities. I'm gonna let them know they're negotiating against one another, and I'm gonna know that if one of them comes up with a crazy price, I've got a best alternative. The other people who are bidding on it are gonna be my better alternative. So making a marketplace is one way to do this, but. In general you want to kind of have a clear understanding of what you're going to do if this negotiation doesn't work. Obviously when you're engaging in a negotiation you hope it works out. That's why you came to the table with this person is because they got something that you want or vice versa and you're trying to either sell it or buy it at an acceptable price. So obviously, you know, you have some emotion tied to this. You want to get a deal done, you want to make some money, XYZ, you want to be productive. But at the same time, you want to understand what you're going to do if this doesn't work. And listen, people can be very irrational in negotiations. In my experience, they can get emotional. They can get uh, stubborn. They can get so, so, oftentimes these toxic mentalities. I opened the podcast talking about where they think they're going to quote unquote beat you or something and go back and brag at the office the next day or something. And those types of things can really blow up a deal. So it's best not to chase, you know, it's best to have alternatives and think about this in life in general. I mean, you're trying to convince your girlfriend where you want to go to eat. Say you really want Italian food and she just doesn't want to eat Italian food for whatever reason. What's your best alternative? I'm going to help the boys to go to the Italian restaurant. So if she says no to me, that's my alternative. (laughs) You know, things like that. It seems corny, but it's also very intuitive. You know, what is your best alternative if this doesn't work out? What are you going to do instead? So that's a great example of preparation that can help you in a negotiation. You know, understanding what you're going to do if this deal falls through what what else is an option on the table and trying to expand those options ahead of time really enables you to be confident in negotiations and to strike a better deal than you might have otherwise so that's batna in a nutshell i think it's probably the most important thing in uh, negotiations if i could just give you guys one skill set one strategy to embrace it would be batna um, and and in general preparation again the concept here is that 90% of a negotiation is won during preparation so don't neglect it uh, other things you might look in your Uh, preparation phase for negotiations is you want to understand what's the position that your people, the the, uh, person negotiating in the counterparty's uh, position. What is the counterparty's position in this negotiation? What are their hot button issues? What are some third rail solutions that might be important to them that you should understand that might help you to unlock a better deal? going back to the car sales example, what if you happen to know, okay, this guy sold nine cars this month and on his 10th, he gets a big bonus or the dealership gets a big bonus. So I can negotiate a better deal as long as I'm the 10th car, right? So you might kind of monitor it and figure out when they're about to sell their 10th car and be the guy who shows up to buy then because you can strike a better deal because you know about this other factor that comes into play other than just the car's price and the options and the financing and things like this. That's, those are important things to do ahead of time is to do your preparation, to understand that and understand what other issues might be important to them. This is really important when you're doing something complicated, like buying a business, right? Cause there's lots of motives beyond just price, you know, and there's lots of ways to quote unquote, get creative if price, if there's a gap between you two on a price. Let's say you're going to buy a business and you think it's worth a million and they think it's worth 1.2. Well, to bridge that $200,000 gap, you might get creative. You might say, well, it's important to you guys to close this deal quickly. I can get financing within the next 15 days. And that might entice them to go lower on price, right? Same thing with like a house would be a great example of that car. Um, You know, other things that might matter in that type of situation or that uh, you might give them, you know, might make it so that if the business performs this way, then you pay the 1.2. You might get a little creative with things like that. But understanding their position, what's important to them and understanding there are third party options, like third rail options to solve some of your impasses in negotiation. Those are really important techniques to have as well. But again, to bring it back home, I really feel like preparation is where most of this occurs. You know, it's where you start to understand who you're negotiating against. You understand what, what the terms of the negotiation are, what the important factors are, and how you might prep for those. And it also gives you a ton more confidence. You're going to be able to strike that bargain more confidently in the actual moment. And if they do something weird, you won't be caught quite as flat-footed because you'll have a clear picture of what you're going to do in case this doesn't work out. So that is my opening salvo on negotiations. If you guys are interested, I can definitely unpack this more. I can help out, you know, with maybe talking about specific negotiations and giving advice on this podcast. So if you guys are facing something interesting uh, in your world that you want some advice on, I'd be happy to, to help out. But don't forget, when you're doing your negotiations, focus on preparation. Slow down and breathe a little bit. Think about what what the important factors are. Think about what your counterparty uh, values and what's important to them. Understand the whole landscape and the terms of art. And most importantly, understand your BATNA. Understand what you're going to do if this negotiation doesn't work out. And I think you'll be better prepared for them thanks again for all your support. If you like this podcast, make sure to subscribe and send this episode to a friend who might be interested in negotiations or uh, business tactics in general. I'm always happy to help. I really appreciate you guys. Love the growth on the podcast and uh, I'm really grateful you guys take the time to listen. Um, So make sure to drop a line. I'm at the Blackwood Show on Instagram if you're interested. And other than that, I will talk at you soon.